Is everybody recording? Yep, recording. Yep. Are we sitting? Are we sitting comfortably? Yes, indeed. I'm actually lying under my duvet right now. So, <laughs> man, better not be touching himself. Okay, better not. This better not make the world cast outtakes. That would be funny. You started off with this excerpt and then we get into the show. Man better not be touching himself. <laughs> Fun Island, Fun Island, Dana White bought a whole island. Is he lying? Is he wildin'? The UFC is coming right back again. Lee Oliveira was the last of it. Yeah. So give me some time, cause I'ma have to then. Yeah. UFC London, they had to cancel it. I back. People are always saying about the talk, and I talk, and I talk, and I talk, but guess who can walk? I back it up! I back it up! That means it's time to roll, baby. You got nothing going on between your ears, bro. Hey, John, do you think I'm just gonna sit there and let you kill me, John? I mean, really. I think I could beat every girl in my division with one hand. That guy's such a dick. I mean, you show your true colors after a fight. That fucking guy comes up to me. You know who you are, huh? I don't have much left to say other than you have seen nothing yet. <laughs> Hope to God you come ready. Hi, Michael Morgan, and welcome to this week's episode of the Wokecast. Joining me, as always, is Jasanga Malata and Kairos Bodley. How you doing, guys? All good, man. How are you, Mike? I can't complain. I, I'm not going to lie that for six hours yesterday, I forgot about the uh, coronavirus. I forgot about COVID-19, immersed in fights. And no, I'll just come out blatantly and say it. I was pleased as punch. I was happy as Larry. And, you know... It was almost as though I'd had a hearty meal and I felt really satisfied afterwards. No, yeah, I, I, I feel the same. Like sports are a distraction from the everyday struggles that we that we have. And the, the UFC delivered. Dana White was from the outset was saying that this is going to help a return to normalcy and distract people from the, the troubles that they're going through. And I, I think it, it well and truly did for diehard fans of the sports and just casual observers of sport in general who just wanted to see some sort of live action and if um, Dana is to be believed you know the numbers are off the chart and you know understandably so I mean it was the only game in town yeah you would you well you, you'd hope the numbers are, were off the charts considering the the lengths that they've gone to not once but twice to to keep this this fight card going and I think given the magnitude of the fight and that Tony Ferguson is somewhat of a bit of a mainstream name and there were a few other mainstream names on there, like Greg Hargy in particular and Cowboy and Pettis. I think that that would translate into numbers and revenue for the UFC. Now, I, I, I know that we've got burning topics, burning issues that we want to cover and get into. But before we even get there, I wouldn't mind um, just basically chipping in that for me, the standout fight of the night was um, Cejudo and... Um, so you know, and why is the man's name? <laughs> the disrespect. I'm the disrespect. Here, right? Chill out. <laughs> you see, th- th- this, this, this is this is the level of uh, disrespect that I've got for Dominic Cruz. Now, I mean, in all honesty, in the run up to this, I said that he would try and cruise his way to a victory. Now, I know the name is spelt differently, but that is what he was trying. He just wasn't fast <sighs> enough. He just wasn't on the level of Cejudo. And for me, he got sunned. Oh. And he got sunned in a big way. And we've seen this, if you ask me, before. We've seen um, him getting um, outgunned, outquickened, if, if there is such a term. Um, and, you know, to be honest with you, I was very, very surprised about the whole um, retirement from Cejudo, which I don't actually think is a thing. I think that is just a ploy. Basically, he's going to be coming back when the money's right. And uh, the money's going to be made very, very quickly right. Because I imagine... That, um, you know, Dana White is going to want to put him back to work as soon as possible. But put it this way, that was an incredible fight. Don't get me wrong, the, the entire card I, I, I thoroughly enjoyed. But that, for me, stood out in so many ways. Only because, I, I'll put my hand up, in terms of that division, I, it wasn't one that I had my eye on for the longest while. And I think 
to a certain extent. King Cringe and all that, he's reignited my enthusiasm, not only for him as a fighter, but, you know, for the division as a whole. But I, I thoroughly enjoyed that. I, I, I really do think, you know, in terms of standouts, in terms of standard bearers, that for me was my, my fight of the night. So you enjoyed seeing Kairos' boy get his that's ass whipped. That's basically that. what you said. <laughs> that's what, that's what <laughs> okay. you're saying. Right <laughs> Look. You know what? Come on. Kairos, man. Facts. Was he um, vintage? Was he bringing his A-game? Was he outpointed? Was he outstruck? And was his speed up to par? Over to I you, my man. I think that he wanted to switch his style around in this time off. And uh, he came out there with his style a little bit switched around. You know what I'm saying? And it didn't help. It did not help that your boy. I'm not even going to call him by his real name. I'm going to just call him. His real name is what? Keith Peterson or Steven Peterson? Whatever it is. And his nickname is like no nonsense. He's none of those things to me. He's just Steve. And he, he according to Dominic Steve. Cruz, he was smelling like wow. alcohol and cigarettes. So he must have been at a titty bar before he came there. And I'm, I'm not happy about that. I'm not happy about it one bit. <laughs> How do you social distance at a titty bar, man? Exactly. He doesn't follow the rules. I'm sick and tired of this, man. Get him out of here. Take away his job. Yeah, but come on. Kairos, all right, we all know that that knee set up, you know, the, the, the beginning of the end for your boy. But, you know, don't tell me that Cruz was intelligently defending. Then tell me that Dominic, after taking 11 you know, 11 which landed. Don't get me wrong, there were some glances, but I counted 11 that solidly landed against him. Don't tell me that he was intelligently defending and that he was about to come back from that because, nah, man, I'm I ain't feeling that. I'm telling you that situation awareness is important. And me, I, I'm, I'm not going to sit here and say that I could do a better job, but I could have done a better job. It's 10 seconds left in the fight. <laughs> he gets dropped at nine seconds and he's making an effort to get back up to his feet. And it's a title fight in round two. I'm going to let it go. I'm gonna let it go. It's nine seconds left in the fight. I'm curious. I, I I'm, I'm curious. You, you're the you're the fifth person I've heard talk about. You know, he was um, getting his way back up to his feet. What using his face? Uh, yes, <laughs> he was Jesus. using his face and he was eating shots. But I'm not. I'm not gonna sit here and be like, oh my yeah. goodness, those shots were just downright despicable. No, it wasn't that bad. We've seen worse shots. We've seen worse stoppages. So why on earth? Why on earth would you stop that fight? Especially for a title fight, a mm, world title mm, mm. during a pandemic? Let that fight go on. During a pandemic, we see, we're able to fight with our lives at risk. Bro, let them fight. Let them fight this out. You got to be kidding me. I, 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 I can see the argument for the, the, the pro Dominic Cruz fan base are, are making. And he, he, he was still moving. He was getting back to his feet. But as you said there, Michael, there were 11 unanswered shots. But to, to counter that point again, though, it is a title fight and traditionally you do, you want to give fighters a bit more leeway. And I think had it been 11 unanswered shots from Francis Ngannou, then we would have been like, oh my God, Keith Peterson, what are you doing? But exactly. But these are, these are smaller guys. Obviously, they're like, they're still blunt force trauma to the head or, or what have you, but they're not fully concussive shots like Ngannou could unleash on you. Of a, when he's in, unimpeded so yeah uh, I, I, I see both arguments for me I thought you, you could have let it go but at the same time I'm not really that bothered by the stoppage there's been more stoppages exactly exactly but I don't want to hog the proceedings in terms of what floated my boat last night how about you guys what, what, was, what was really doing it for you uh, well it, for me it just has to be the the toughness of Tony Ferguson, and I don't know what's mm. in his chin, but I think the cure for coronavirus is in there, to be honest. <laughs> I, I think it, it must be like, he's, he's I don't want to use the old cliche that he's got a granite chin and that he must be cut from stone or whatever, but it's, it's, it's something else. It, it must just be his genetic makeup or, or what have you, the way his, his bones are structured around his head because his head just doesn't seem to get rattled. And I mean, the amount of like counter hooks that Justin Gaethje was, was landing. And I was watching the fight with my fiance and she was just, she just kept saying that Tony Ferguson isn't, isn't human. Because, and Daniel Cormier made a very good point during the broadcast that all of those shots, all of those counters, and Justin had some brilliant slips and counter hurts that you returned with, all of those were putting people to sleep. Yes. 
uh, well, in, in, in his last fight, uh, well, not his last, he didn't put Cowboy to sleep. He put James Vick and Edson he put uh, Edson Barbosa, yeah, to sleep. So, uh, yeah, my my main takeaway is just, like, we already knew it but going into the fight, but Tony Ferguson is just a different level of toughness. Now, I, I also think one of my takeaways from the fight was, was Tony, was was his output impeded by doing two hindered sorry not impeded was hindered by two weight cuts in the space of three weeks because for me he looked off and he looked as if well i know he wasn't breathing heavy or whatever but he looked reluctant to 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 throw to to throw lots of strikes and have a lot of output so yeah that that was something i i i was wondering after the fight but i don't know about you Karis. how did you see it well first let me say this before people get the wrong idea tony ferguson is a phenomenal (laughs) fighter he is world-class, mm. and all of you saying mm. that he would lose to the elite in the division just after one fight are wishy-washy and pretentious. But that man is mm. his biggest enemy. The thing that makes him so great is the thing that lost him that fight last night, and that's his mentality to think that he can do whatever he pleases and still win. No, you can't. You can't cut weight twice in, what, two, three weeks. You can't fight someone who has an, a style built to defeat you on short notice while you're training to defeat a grappler like purely like these are just like what was his management thinking what was he thinking taking this fight you are all but guaranteed to fight for the title when habib comes back after ramadan and when they give him a location actually not like trying to give him the ring around of oh go here and then we'll tell you further information like a treasure hunt like (laughs) bro what the hell are you thinking i think maybe it's he's he's well, he, he's not one to to try play up to an image or whatever. But I, I I think he just wants to. He is. It's just his nature, isn't it? He's he's almost like cowboys. Just like yeah, anytime, a, anywhere. Like, but as you say, with the oppor- like with the opportunity of a lifetime facing Habib. I mean, we've been through this five times now, and just why didn't you just wait? Like, who's advising him? I I know he left. Uh, I know he left uh, Paradigm yeah. Management. And I think I think he's with uh, Belanji now. Whoever whoever said to him, yeah, th- this this is a good idea. Take the fight or whatever. They need to seriously. No, they need to get their, fired. Their they need to get fired. Don't even <laughs> do that. Listen, if you're listening to this, retire now. Retire now. You cost <laughs> one of the greatest fights of all time in terms of notoriety and matchup, just for ego. Congratulations. You killed Icarus. He flew too close to the sun. Congratulations. Can I be the dissenting <laughs> voice here, though? I mean, first off, you're right. Let's acknowledge what we saw last night. I mean, not only does his chin have to be tested for granite, his entire face. I mean, he took some shots. He took more shots than flipping Jenna Jameson. The fact is... The fact of oh the matter is... Gosh. Look... Not only did um, Gaethje, in the preparation for, um, well, I thought it was a few weeks back, also do the weight cut up until the wire, up until the last minute. He, um, when you think about it, also did two weight cuts because, like I, like I just mentioned, just like, okay, whilst it wasn't publicised and whilst it wasn't, you know, social media, Gaethje did exactly the same thing that um, Ferguson did, and that is he did the, the weight cut as well, but he just didn't crow about it. So mm-hmm. you can't actually factor that in there because look at the measured, mature performance of Gaethje and then look at what we yeah. saw um, was the result of that when it was actually put on Flipping Ferguson. Now the fact of the matter is this: Look, I just have to call it as it as it is. We are seeing what we are seeing because Ferguson just wasn't good enough. Now I know again this is probably heresy, but if he wasn't good enough for Gaethje, he wasn't going to be good enough. No, don't even say it. Don't, don't, no, no, don't even say it. No. Nah. Don't no. even don't even say it. They're they're two exactly. totally different t- t- matchup. Two to- like and while I'll acknowledge the fact that Habib's stand up is is markably improved from the first time that Tony mm-hmm. and him were, were matched up. It's a complete it's a completely stylistic it's 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 night and day. 
It's blasphemy from you, Mr. Morton. You've been blasphemy. trying real hard to get me upset today, and you yeah. succeeded. Like, just wait. Just wait for it's my time. Just wait for my time. 15 minutes in. At the 15-minute mark, and we're, we're already saying this this heresy. As you How say. about yourself, Clarice? <laughs> what, what float you boat last night? I, like like I said, with his mentality, getting him into trouble, man. Like, just say no. Like, I understand I criticize fighters about, oh, well, uh, Jorge Masvidal is not fighting people and blah, 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 and he's claiming to be a BMFer. But that's different because he's not fighting for the title. He's saying, nah, I'm not going to fight the champion because I'm afraid. Mm. This situation, Tony should have been like, nah, I'm not fighting this for, for this fight because I'm guaranteed a title shot. You heard what I said, though? Jorge Masvidal is afraid if you didn't catch that. He's a baby, and he's afraid. <laughs> I knew you. I'm going to point that out there. He, his song, when he walks out to a fight, needs to be the pretender, because I'm sick of that man. Wow. And uh... You know what? You know what? There, I said it. I don't care what anybody says. And Tony, listen, he'll be back. He just needs to figure out who he fights next. If he fights Conor next, which I don't really think would happen, mm. that could get him back into contention if he can win that fight. Or he should take a few steps back and fight someone a little bit... I don't know, Carlos Diego Ferreira. I think he's ranked like 14, 15 rank. If he can fight him and possibly get past him, that would help. That would be a quality win. But he needs to take steps back and take some matchups that he can win. Yeah, I don't think he should be jumping. He should jump be jumping into fights like against Dustin Poirier. I know I, I tweeted earlier today that logically that's that that's a matchup that makes sense, both coming off losses and in, in, in title fights, but realistically it's probably not the best for him at this moment in time and it's it's interesting that um connor was 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 briefly mentioned there i don't i don't or i don't even think he was i think i just mentioned it in my head and i'm hearing stuff but i judging from what i saw there the narrative about a connor tony matchup is that connor knocks him out but I don't think Connor has a chance of knocking out tony ferguson i know connor hits I, i know connor hits hard uh, but he's only had one stoppage at lightweight. That was Eddie Alvarez. And if we're being totally honest, Eddie Alvarez has had many and many a war, and his chin wasn't well. It's not the Agreed. same as, as it used to be. So Connor's stopping power at lightweight. It's still it's mm-hmm. still debatable. No one hundred percent. Let's circle back then to UFC two four nine, and uh, floor is yours. Yeah. So. Obviously, the fighters were returning up to Jacksonville, I do believe, on the ch- Tuesday and, and the Wednesday. And all seemed to be fine ju- during fight week until we all woke up on Saturday morning. Obviously, it would have been uh, late at night for, for Kairos. And woke up Saturday morning and we found out that Ronaldo Souza, better known as Jacare Souza, had tested positive for COVID-19. Now, initially, when, when I saw that he tested positive, I was like, okay... I'm sure the UFC did their did their due diligence and did everything that they could to to prevent mm. this from happening. But when it emerged <laughs> that he'd informed them on on the Wednesday, so I, I I believe that was the day that he actually arrived in Jacksonville. When he informed them that he'd been in contact with a with a sick relative, and that he he might be he, that he potentially have COVID nineteen, I for one just blew my top. I, I was asking myself immediately, how are, how are Dana White and Co. not just scratching the fight, removing Jack Array and his team from the hotel, and just not even taking the chances of his his, his test or swab test coming back negative? I it, it completely blew my mind. What were your thoughts? I'm not going to lie, and I'm I'm being deadly serious here. It made me question whether I wanted to cover this sport going forward because it seems like at every juncture when we bring up safety we're pointed out as wimpy MMA journalists MMA media basically people who've never Mm -hmm. done shit in their lives and basically harping on um, about something which they've taken care of and it was quite patently clear that they hadn't taken care of it into the level that would ensure the safety of fighters because what I saw on video was Jacare not self-isolating after the fact of arriving on the Wednesday and telling people, whoever in charge, that he'd actually been in uh, contact with relatives who were, were ill. I saw him mixing and mingling with you know other people on the card. Now, my thing is this. If you are going to have a protocol in place where you do actually recognise and actually... Um, 
have somebody who is ill, then stick to that protocol. Don't blatantly come out later and try to dress it up as this person only had limited contact with other members or other uh, people in his vicinity when it's quite patently clear that that wasn't the case. And that's why going back to, you know, what I said initially, it did make me feel, you know, do I really want to be in a situation where I'm covering something which not only is potentially life-threatening because of the slapdash way in which, you know, safety is, is looked at, but, you know, at every juncture, mm-hmm. spin was being used to justify, or not necessarily justify, but to, to, to paint a narrative which was clearly against what I was seeing with my own eyes. No, I, 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 I agree with you. And as, as we've said many a time, Dana White is the master of, of, of spinning this narrative. And so much so when, when I was tweeting my, my, my concern with the, with, with the card going ahead, I wasn't even calling for the card to to go ahead in fact to be cancelled i just put out a poll saying now with jack ray testing positive what should they do people people are coming at me like oh just literally i'm i'm paraphrasing but it's along the lines of just let them fight bro blah 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 everybody's everybody's come back negative everyone else has tested negative but it's not just about the 20 well the the 22 other fighters that ended up competing on the card. It's about everybody else that is in that hotel that has possibly touched the surfaces as Jacare might have might have touched, and even the cleaners that are going into the rooms that Jacare has been staying in and whatever. It's there's a massive massive picture which is which far outweighs just the just fisticuffs. So for for me, if, I I think we let ourselves down there, and it was very disappointing. Considering if you look at the well everything that we saw in the face of it, their 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 social distancing protocols and the and the testing, it's everything seemed to be good, and it gave us it gave us gave me at least some optimism that made me think that okay we can do this and we can be the standard bearer, and other sporting leagues can look at the UFC in a good light light, and they can say all right we can follow their protocols to get our own sport back on track. Now, Dana White, like in fact the the piece that I wrote for my. Uh, for my paper piece tomorrow says that Dana White believes that the UFC have essentially laid the blueprint out for other sports to return but I don't know how he can say that when he didn't pull a fighter who potentially had COVID-19 days before the card yeah, I, it doesn't sit right with me. And because new information came out, there was people. I don't know if this was true or not, but there was a few people saying that he knew that his wife had um, the virus, and he showed up. And I and Whoa. yeah, like I don't know if that's verified or if that's correct or anything. But these should have been questions asked. And ah, uh, I'm not sitting here to blame like blame Jacare, um, and I'm not here to like. But I felt like that was incredibly selfish. Like, if he knew that, if he willingly knew that and still showed up and didn't, like, say, well, maybe I should take this test earlier, blah, blah, blah. Like, I don't, that does not sit right with me. And it goes back to the idea that a lot of these fighters, now that you're allowing these events to take place, are going to are gonna be a little bit selfish. They're going to be selfish and say, well, I'm the exception. I don't have it or I can't contract it or it'll be all right. And then that's when things aren't going to be all right. Uh, it doesn't sit yeah. well and like you, you raise a the point there. I do believe. I think Jacare might have done an interview like before the original cancellation of UFC two forty nine. And I think he said something along the lines of basically he needs to fight to to pay his mortgage or or, or something along those lines. So, I mean, given the fact that fighters aren't receiving any sort of monthly stipend or what have you, this is it's just going to entice yeah. fighters to think right. I might, I might have the virus. I might have been in contact with someone who has the virus, but I need to feed my family. I need to pay these bills. I don't want these debt collectors sending final notices to my house and send eventually sending bailiffs. So, uh, yeah, that that just it just circles back to a whole whole another issue that the UFC haven't addressed. Oh, but I thought the UFC was taking care of everybody. Go on, continue. Yeah, you see, that's my point. Yeah. Yeah, well, 
If any, anyway, well, we just pray that Jacques Ray and his all of his family members, and indeed everybody that competed on the card, even the cleaners in the arena, even the camera people, and even the the final person that turned off the light switch at the at the Vice Star mm-hmm. Arena, all got home safe and that they have no symptoms of COVID nineteen. You see that kind of like. I suppose segues into again you know a point about handling and a point about spin and a point basically about being open and transparent um during the um what was it now the post-fight uh media scrum with dana white uh one of the assembled media actually brought up the fact that steven espinoza um was putting the UFC on blast. Now, you'll know that Steven Espinoza has had previous run-ins with Dana White, but he was putting the UFC on blast, mm-hmm. basically saying that, you know, there was a clause, there was a um, there was um, a stipulation, a waiver um, in the fighter contracts, which said that they, um, they can't sue, first of all, if they contract COVID-19, but secondly, they can't disparage or say anything disparaging around the testing regime and around um, the whole process. Now, that, I suppose, on the face of it, that makes a lot of sense because it's standard practice, regardless of which... Um, uh, promotion that you actually signed to that they have got a disparagement clause in the contract um, for fighters who actually signed up for this so you know you can't actually say anything disparaging about the promotion or bring the promotion into disrepute that I understand but the thing that kind of like struck me as very very odd and just mind-boggling is that this also this waiver also includes fighters and media and staff. Now, the, the and media was the bit that made me, uh, well, gasp, basically. I mean, essentially what is being said here is no disparaging comments or no disparaging reportage can be, um, well, <laughs> delivered by the assembled media. Now, I know that it was a limited number. And I know that, you know, those who were there more than likely, well, I would hope that they actually pushed back to a level where you know there was some kind of like dialogue around this because okay what would be the penalty that wasn't actually um well reported on what would be the penalty if these media um actually reported on on things which they didn't see as right just as we are discussing now there are things which you know they would have seen especially being firsthand on the ground which on the face of it because of this waiver they would not have been able to report on now the thing that really kind of like is baffling and and you know in in, in a way um is giving me again pause for thought is if the whole reason that these assembled media are there is for PR, is for publicity, is to kind of puff up the UFC. I, I really do struggle to, you know, call them media. Media in the tra- traditional sense, journalists in a traditional sense. Now, I can imagine, I mean, I, this is pure speculation. I'm, I'm putting that out there because I don't know this is fact. I can imagine that the, the, the weight, the might, the wrath of the UFC would come down on any media who actually um, said anything disparaging about the event or about the process whilst they were there. But you know something? This has always been the case with the UFC, but it's never been something mm-hmm. which journalists, media have signed up to, waived their right to report. Now, whilst this is an emerging story because um, it was flagged by Bloody Elbow and subsequently reported on by, um, who was it, the New York Times. But also, you know, the, the, the thing that kind of like struck me about this as well is it was also expanded upon by ESPN who added the angle that media also signed up to this. So the thing that I kind of, I suppose I'm really getting to is the whole thing that I started off with about transparency and about narrative and about the fact that, you know, this ongoing issue of media being PR, extended PR, just needs to stop. It's a disgrace. And I I feel that, you know, I understand that people want to hold on to their credentials, but 
then don't call yourself media. Yeah, um, we we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago. I mean, if you're if you if you've actively signed up to 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 go and and, and cover an event and not act and not report on things that could potentially portray the UFC in a bad light, you seriously have to question your morals and and your ethics. Why did you get into this into this business to begin with to report the news and disseminate good or bad information that is coming from uh, from from a promotion? That's that's journalism one on one, and I I think sadly in in this near two months that we've we've not had any UFC that companies uh, I, I i can't remember the outlets that were there off the top of my head but, and i'm i'm not going to name them because i don't want to i don't i don't want to start beef not start beef or whatever but that has stopped before but go I, ahead. I, it, yeah it has not stopped me from before yeah but I think perhaps they're feeling the financial crunch from things, and yeah. they they know oh we need to be in the post fight press conference. We need our we need our, uh, our our cameras there so we can get the best footage, so then we can get the most views on YouTube and earn X amount of revenue to to make up for for what we've lost. But uh, to sacrifice your, your your ethics and your morals and everything that you've studied for it, uh, it just it 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 doesn't sit well with me whatsoever. Personally, for me, if if the opportunity had come and they'd say, "Oh, you can come to the event, but you can't report on X, Y, and Z," I I wouldn't have taken it because that's me doing a disservice to myself and to all the people that follow me and to journalism itself. I know you know this should be couched and couched heavily by the fact that you know first of all, Stephen Espinosa is the president of Showtime Sports, but facts are facts even though you know it was presented in a way to you know i can't believe i'm saying this always make trouble that does seem to be his um mm-hmm. his, his 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 motive in all of this but it does actually bring up some very interesting and you know quite profound issues here and you know i i think it'd be rather disingenuous of me to sit here high and mighty and saying oh you should uphold you know journalistic standards and integrity when i myself have actually worked for um promotions whilst reporting on the sport but i'm not going out and saying that first mm-hmm. of all um hiding that fact but secondly that i'm a journalist i class myself yes as mma media but i feel that mm-hmm. i for one, make the distinction of when I'm working for somebody and when I'm reporting for another outlet. And that's the, my point here, that you can't go there and you know actively rep for your organisation when you are essentially just providing puff and PR. No, I, I, 100%, I, I agree with you. And I've said it numerous times over over the last few weeks, us as journalists we're not extensions of your PR department as much as you want us to be and I don't think Dana White really understands that concept so much I I think I think perhaps it stems from the from the perception the negative perception that mixed martial arts had in the media and perhaps he's a bit sensitive so he's just He's of the mindset that they only want they only want certain media there that are willing to give positive coverage yeah. to the UFC. And I actually I don't know if you saw a tweet I don't know if you follow him, uh, Josh Gross I don't know which outlet he's with actually nowadays. He tweeted and he said that uh, Dana White yeah, offered I, I him a job yeah. in the UFC yeah yeah many, many years ago, and he expressed his concern to to Dana and said, "Look, I don't think I'll be able to do journalism," and Dana said, "Yes, but." Obviously, Josh, a, vet, a veteran journalist, knew what that meant when Dana said, oh, yeah, you, you'll be able to, and he declined the offer. So, yeah, basically, yeah, the, the, the UFC, and I don't, I don't blame them for just wanting positive press because that's what every single, every single sporting entity or, or different entities outside the sports world want. But, again... We're journalists. We have to call things as they are. And if you're sacri- if, if you're sacrificing your morals and ethics just for a, a seat at a, see an event or an exclusive interview, then you seriously have oh, to question 100%. yourself. But like I say, again, just to clarify, there'd be no point in me actually concluding this without saying, been there, done that, but <clears throat> made the distinction. I yeah. remember 
there was a time when I used to cover um, Bama both as a um, representative, R.I.P. Bama, yeah, both as a representative in one um, or for one event as strictly Woe TV, mm-hmm. and I would be straight down the line reporting what I saw, warts and all, so much to a point where, you know, I got myself banned from Bama because I reported warts and all, and I just told it as I saw it because I was reporting for Woe TV. There was the expectation because I'd worked for them, like directly for them, doing backstage reportage in terms of um, uh, behind-the-scenes video, that, they, that, that it was almost... Yeah. Um, expected of me not to actually report on what I saw when I got back to you know my role as Woe TV. So I can understand where people are coming from, but at the end of the day, yeah. if you are making that distinct role um, and line in the sand, and that is on this side of the fence, I'm working for this outlet, and on this side of the fence, I'm working directly for the promotion. I think that's fine. I, like I say, I have been yeah. there and I think it'd be wrong of me not to actually bring that up because the fact, what I'm kind of like hammering home here is that these are individuals who are purporting to work for independent media outlets. I, I like the transparency there with with your previous experience that you're, you're, you're talking about there, but I don't think many people are going to be as transparent <laughs> as, as, as you have been. And yeah. I'm not. I'm not. Not trying to say people are being shady or whatever. That's just the word. The first word that came to my mind. That's not how I feel. But they, they just. I think you need to take a look at yourselves if you're signing a waiver saying you're not going to report news. Come, come on. It just. I mean, would you? I was about to use the example of uh, Mike. You know, Laura Koonsberg, yeah, yeah, the political yeah. editor for the BBC. I was about to say, uh, would she do that? But she probably oh, would because she's a Tory show. Yes. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah so yeah and anyway anyway we'll leave british politics yeah, out of this i'm so lost i'm sorry i'm i'll research it after i'll, I'll research it but i don't know right now all i'm all i'm saying kairos is brexit means brexit bro that's how about you kairos what, what, what's, what's your whole take on on the, the, the thin line between pr and uh media journalism but the, the whole thing about signing up to what effectively is a wavering of your journalistic integrity and leaving um, your natural instinct to report what you see uh, at the door. What do you, what do you, I mean, you, you, this is something that you're living and breathing right now, surely, with your, um, with, with your studies. Um, I'm glad you distinguished that. You said with your journalistic. There's a lot of people that may not be themselves as journalists. They're, so they're willing to sacrifice their morals because they don't see it as like a shame to what they were what they've invested their time to create or become a lot of people are just like all right well great i see myself as simply a member of the media or i see myself simply as a person who wants to be close to the sport and a lot of people are not going to like a lot of people i don't want to say don't have integrity and i don't want to i don't want to use that word because i feel like it depends on what side of the fence you are you lay that determines like integrity and who you are but i just really 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 think that the people who sign this either don't consider themselves journalists or don't understand what it means to be a journalist either way though i don't i don't think it's good and people always give this man flack like luke thomas but he says a multiple times he's like i ain't been a journalist for years so that's to let you know right then and there where he stands though like mm-hmm. so it's just i think that yeah i'm i'm gonna stick to the, my point i don't think these people who are willing to sign these things are considering themselves journalists or should be considered as journalists and i respect you guys for standing your ground and staying true to yourselves and your beliefs because that takes conviction and that is a very underrated underappreciated quality but at the end of the day for a lot of these people they they ain't got it like that they ain't trying to be like that and uh that's unfortunate yeah but um i'm well i i think we also um big john morgan john morgan was was front and center there at the fights and i i Correct me. I think maybe Kevin Ioli was there as well. I think I, I'm not 100 percent sure, but these are these are pillars uh, pillars in our in our sport. So it it baffles me that they would have signed something. Maybe maybe those two didn't have to sign it, it did s- say such a waiver given given how long the ESPN the sport, report but, said media fighters okay, so, and staff. Ooh, so yeah. that's why I you know I I was at pains to kind of like lay out 
that I hope there was some dialogue. I hope there was some discourse because I, I would hate to think that someone like Kevin Ioli or even John Morgan, as you say, pillars of the MMA community, would basically just sign up for that and shelve their integrity. I mean, you know, let's just call it what it is. I mean, you know, I, I do believe that the Mac life was there mm. as well. So the, the, the fact of the matter is this. I wasn't there. I don't know the ins and outs, yeah. but I'm just hoping is what I'm saying. I'm hoping there was some pushback. I'm hoping there was some kind of dialogue. But from all uh, reports, especially it, this coming from ESPN, clarifying, you know, the fact that media signed up to this too, it doesn't look good. Where, where, does, where does it end now? Like, do, do the UFC then start putting in, like, s- small terms and conditions when you apply for credentials now? And then they say, ah, well, you reported Fighter X did this bad thing and in the contract that you signed up for, let's say, for example, uh, UFC London uh, contract, the credential application that says you should not say disparaging things about blah, blah, blah. It, it It's a slippery slope. It's a very, very slippery slope. And it... It makes me think that the the UFC brass are becoming more selective about Why what do you media say they want selective? to have covering the it's sport. It's always been the case. I mean, you go back as as, as you know as as far back as um, you know. All right, a, a recent example would be. I'm sure this was the case because it was widely reported on, and it was quite a controversial topic in that. Greg Hardy, I I do believe uh, it was a media day featuring Greg Hardy and the journalists, the assembled journalists were apparently um, Mm -hmm. being influenced to not bring up his past. Now, I don't know the ins and outs of the story because like I say, I wasn't there. I'm getting this on, you know, second and third hand um, hearsay, but this is how it was presented to me and like I say this isn't the first or the second or even the third time that I've heard and even had you know first-hand experience of the UFC trying to influence the narrative I remember it must have been about three years ago being um, called up by a representative from the UFC and being asked to remove a tweet which I didn't do but asked to remove a tweet because it didn't paint them in a, in a favourable light. Now, the way that I look at it is uh, is this. We've all had, surely, um, that moment where, you know, we decide whether or not we change a story, remove a tweet, or tweak um, some uh, video footage. But you cannot be led by promotions mm-hmm. who are actually demanding this because then, as I keep, keep mentioning, you become an extension of their PR. No, I'm in 100% agreement with with you on that, and it seems that this topic is uh, is is coming up regularly, and we're talking about it at nauseum. But as you say, it's it's a very prevalent issue in in our sport at this moment in time. Oh, I didn't know they were contacting you guys about tweets. Wow, I thought it was just like the wow. <laughs> Your tweet must have banged, yes, Michael. That's what I'm, I wonder what the tweet is. Yo, your tweet, your tweet send me must the have tweet after this. <laughs> oh, gosh. Here's my question, though, for you regarding this, though. How do you feel about the double standard of that dissemination of information? I'll give you an example. Like, you had the whole escapade with Connor, and everyone, you had, you had, I'm not going to sit here and be like, not too many people wanted to hear, have the questions asked about um, what he was accused of and what he currently is accused of. Because I, I saw it from both mm-hmm. sides. I saw people wanting to hear it talked about. And I saw people not wanting it to be talked about. So with that, I'm saying we they had a day dedicated to it, basically, where he sat down in front of cameras and Ariel asked him. And it was a very it was a very controlled environment for him. He was at, he was handed layups and he was dunking on him with these questions. It was very easy responses. But he had his he had his day in comparison to someone else, like how you just said, Greg Hardy, who I think. Um, I th- I don't want to say I think that I don't think he really had an fair, interview though, about it. Maybe he's talked about it a few times. Sure. With regards to in the regards to his Connor um, uh, allegations, I mean, let's just call them what they are. They're they're not steeped in fact. He there there hasn't been any judicial process. Whereas that's where you know I feel that it was pertinent to talk about uh, Greg Hardy because, you know, that had its day in court, that had its day through, you know, judicial process. And and yes. anything 
to mm-hmm. actually bring uh, into a conversation speculation and it would be speculation because none of the assembled journalists or you know in the, in the, in the particular example of Ariel Hawani wasn't there so why would you bring up conjecture why would you bring up something where you know there isn't a, a shred of fact that you can bring to the table so I understand why that wasn't the case and litigation is a, is a very very mm. um, tricky thing to make sure you're on the right side uh, and don't get yourself into any legal wrangles hence the reason why I'm being very careful how I'm actually terming all of this as well because ultimately um, we're talking about something which hasn't been proven that the day in court hasn't been established if there is going to be a day in court but I suppose the key and most important thing is you can only report on fact. No I, I agree completely with you and as as it pertains to the corner situation obviously i i was well, i was at the the 246 press conference and it was a, the new york times journalist who who asked the question nobody nobody else dared dared touch that and i think it goes back to what you say they've obviously done their research and they've got some facts and they've got some well what they believe I, well, I wouldn't. I wouldn't say evidence or, or whatever, but they've got some information that they deem worthy, valuable enough, and worthy enough, and warrant uh, that warrants asking Connor the question. I think an, another talking point that I do want to talk about is this: How do we feel about the UFC? Because you just touched on it about them always controlling the storyline and the narrative. We talked about Leon being basically like baited around like oh well you should compete and then getting blamed for him saying no i'm not gonna um leave my family during this time or blah 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 and then you have khabib Mm -hmm. doing the same thing and he gets straight up like ragdolled for it and then you got you get all these people who are doing these things and getting just straight rolled on it for standing their ground during this pandemic like the people who are doing what they can to like preserve life or preserve people from getting contracted or take care of their own and they and they have the means to do it without fighting they're getting straight canned for it but then the people who are like no i'm able-bodied to fight i do want to fight but i'm not going to fight not because i'm afraid of getting sick but because i don't want to those people are just getting their pass they're getting their day in court and they're allowed to do and say whatever they want i don't understand how people are able to distinguish those two things and allow one and disallow the other or um and or do the complete opposite it just it rubs me the wrong way that mma fans are picking and choosing because it for one guy it's oh well it's for his safety and he's trying to make sure he protects himself the other guy it's oh well he's scared like how i just said earlier that jorge's scared but then in the same Mm. sentence i'm talking about leon and habib protecting their health you know like i'm i'm even able to pick out my hypocrisy sometimes you know i I think that there does seem to be a running theme that um MMA fans full stop run hot and cold regardless of whether they be Khabib fans regardless of whether they be Connor fans regardless of whether they be Leon Edwards fans remember there was a time when people hated Leon Edwards they yeah. despised the man so much so that he was getting booed when he he was uh, he was entering the octagon now for me you're right there doesn't seem to be any consistency but that's fans for you they <laughs> run hot and cold regardless who is in front of him. Yeah, and I, I think as it pertains to Khabib, I think people got on at him, which it still baffles me that people got on him. I think they got on at him because there's there's this notion that he's a pull-out merchant, if you know <laughs> what I mean, and that he's a once-a-year kind of fighter. <laughs> like, come on, guys, let's, let's be serious. L- let's be serious here, right? Michael, you've already mentioned Jenna Jameson today. Let's just... Let's, like. That's an, that's enough adult refer- like <laughs> references and innuendos for one one podcast. But you know you you know what I mean though. There's there's this narrative that Nerving America withdraws from fights. Uh, you see how it changes up there. Yeah. It's a withdrawal. <laughs> yeah. So I yeah I I think it was easy for fans to to get on it. But in the in the case of Leon, people were more sympathetic because he's this quiet, soft-spoken guy. He he turns up and does the business when he's asked. So, but as as you say, just MMA fans in general, like as as you said today, Karis, you you even I think it was you who tweeted it. You everybody prior to well twenty four hours ago, everybody was loving Tony Ferguson. Everybody was saying, oh yeah, he's the best fighter in the lightweight division. And now mm. to like today this this evening or this afternoon for you, Karis, people are saying that he's overrated and that he's a bum and that yes. oh Connor knocks him out yes. of the yeah, or that he's never good. So it's. Uh, I th- it's just recency bias. That's pro- like in no other sport 
do I think recency bias is as prevalent as it is in mixed martial arts? I don't know whether that's to do with the IQ level of fans, perhaps. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but I, I, I know it's human nature to a certain extent. You judge people off their most recent performances. And, 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 but I think as a whole, you have to judge people over their body of work over a decent amount of time. And I also think to, to, to its detriment as well, as much as Khabib is being criticized for being a once a year fighter, Tony's only fought, well, he fought once in 2018. Or did he fight in 2018? I can't remember I if he fought in 2018. Yeah, he fought once in 2018, yep. Yeah. Fought once in 2019, he's fought once in 2020. So, yeah, so t- Tony himself is kind of a once a year fighter, but obviously the situation is different with him. He had the injuries and 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 what have you, but... I've kind of I've I digress I deviated from my point but yeah MMA fans for some reason they just flip flop for I it, it it completely baffles me it wouldn't it, it, yeah. it wouldn't surprise me if in maybe maybe six months say say Tony gets back in in the wing column against uh, Carlos Ferreira or whoever people were saying yeah he's still the best lightweight you can still beat Khabib it's it's just the way that unfortunately some of our fans are wired they're bugging with that. And the words of somebody else I heard, I'm not touching myself under the covers about that. Oh, for God's sake. On that note. Well, well, but no, before you go, we've got to come on. Let's, we've got to talk about the black and black crime that happened yesterday. Or the black and black mauling that happened yesterday morning. Francis and Gano and Jarzinho Rosen strike. Wow. You, you know something? Um, I... I, I I've got it in my head that um, this this guy, he no. ain't human, because there was no emotion when he was laying waste to Rosenstreak. It was almost as though you die, bitch, and I don't care. I just could not believe what I was seeing. Just the calm serial killer-like way in which he just swung with just wild abandon. He was like, "Yeah, he did." Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I was yeah. That for me just reiterated that I, I, I th- yeah, I, I, I tweeted it afterwards. I think Francis Ngannou is probably the scariest man on the planet and the, sca- the scariest fighter, it, it, the, the scariest fighter, in, including in boxing as well. Undoubtedly, mm. he's, uh, I don't think there's anybody who, who literally, he's literally Mr. One Hit a Quitter now. He's Mr. Walk Off Knockout now. Uh, who, who else is starching people like that? I know Deontay Wilder kind of is, but. Okay, he knocked out Dominic Brazil with one punch, and Luis Ortiz. Uh, he's he's well, he could be sixty. He's like Cuban, if you know. Mm. Him. So we don't know how like Cubans are or whatever. But just when Ngannou connects with with people, it's it's frightening. And mm. for me, I I thought like after the first couple of exchanges, I thought, well, any of the and my opinion going into the fight, I thought this this could potentially be. A kind of a repeat of the Derek Lewis fight mm. because obviously everybody yeah. expected carnage in that fight. Everybody expected carnage, but Francis w- was tentative. <laughs> now I think that's this. It's <laughs> it's clear. It's clear and evident that was probably down to the the fact that Stipe dealt with him a few months before. But yeah. I thought that okay, this is another knockout artist that Francis is, is got ahead of him. Maybe he's going to be a bit more methodical and he might be a bit tentative to throw heavy lever, but. That wasn't the case, and in fact, he was a bit sloppy with with some of the punches that he was throwing. Yeah. But when he landed that nah, left hook, I, I would say more than a bit sloppy. Yeah. I mean, they they were looping lefts and leaping yeah. rights, you know, which, which found their target. <laughs> he walked yeah, him down that, yeah. in eighteen seconds. Yeah, <laughs> I knew he was mad though because yeah. Jarzinho was talking so much trash after beating Alistair Overeem in a five round fight. It's like, bro. You really about to talk trash? I love Alistair Overeem, but you you fought him and you went down to the wire, and Alistair was winning that fight for the most part. And you took him down to what the fourth, fifth round when Ngannou basically like mm. laid him to rest and won, and you were just like, oh yeah, I'm gonna whoop him, blah blah. And it's just like, dude, like <laughs> really? <laughs> you haven't even fought him yet, bro. Chill out. And I think Francis is in a very peculiar situation because it's like, bro, you're not even the champion yet, but you've you've taken out. A long list of the heavyweights who are gonna who are below you. So if you do become champion, it's like, well, who do you face? Do you face Stipe? Do you face like like who can you actually face? And people get like hyped to see. Yeah. You, you fought a lot of people. Pico Graham, John Jones. Pico if John Graham, Jones, Jones takes that fight, 
I'm telling you right now, we will never see John Jones again after that fight. Maybe if this was John Jones a few years ago, I would be I'd be like, eh, maybe he got a chance. But but where it yeah. stands right now, John Jones wouldn't walk out the arena based off of his own strength. They would have him on the stretch. It would be like a, a WWE event where they have the dramaticism. It's like, bring in the ambulance. He can't get out. That would be what we saw. That oh would be what God. we saw. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's it's interesting because who else really is there in in the heavyweight division? I mean, Francis is late. He's laid waste to Junior. He's laid waste to Kane. He's laid waste to Jarzinho, who was mm -hmm. the meant to be the up and coming up and coming. Thing. Who else? Who else did he not get? And Curtis Blades exactly. beat twice. It's there's so, no one. I mean, it is it is such a shallow division, though, isn't it? It's a very shallow division, man. I mm. I just if, if, hey oh well. I tell you who who wants to smoke, Dillian White. <laughs> he take that fight. Really? He yeah. Didn't want that? Oh well, people forget. I'm pretty sure Dillian's fought in MMA before, and I know he's had. Yeah. He's, I know he's had uh, I, multiple kickboxing fights, but mm. he's yeah. Well, it, it's never going to happen, but he, he's someone that he's someone that would take the fight. If anyone's asking for it, I mean, give it I, to him. If, yeah. if you want that fight, yeah. <laughs> speak up now. I think what, I think I think just what made it so much more like the knockout so much more. So yeah, so much so much more worse was because Jorginho he was asking for it, and even like in the promo that the UFC released, it was a very good promo. He's like, I want to fight this big scary guy, and I was just thinking. I, I even remember when he said, when he made that call out. I was just thinking. You don't want this. Why? Why are you? <laughs> why? Like it's. It's like. It's. Oh what made God, it even man. worse I, I was, is when he was staring him down after you knocked him. I was like, bro, you know, you know, you took his soul. Why you gotta stare him down? Somebody needs to make a video of Jorginho's soul leaving his body and going into the, sh <laughs> and go the shadow realm. Uh, yeah, going into the shadow realm. Who's in the shadow realm? Uh, I can't remember who who does the videos. Uh, is it uh, is it, is it Ray Rod? Ray Rod does yeah, the Shadow Realm video. He do, he do, yeah he does yeah. So who's in the Shadow Realm still at this moment in time? Ben Askren. Who else? Uh, Darren Till. No, let that uh, man get out of yeah. there. Let him out. Nah, he's out the he's out he's out <laughs> the Shadow out Realm there. now. Yeah, <laughs> leave, leave, leave Darren leave Darren alone. He's out the Shadow Realm now. Like I was worried he'd go back there against Kelvin, but he's he's out. Who else? Who else is out there? Um, Let me think about this. I need some time to think. Edson might still be in that shadow realm after getting Edson. Yeah, Gaethje. And, and do you know what? who might even still be? Well, who might have just joined him as well? I know he wasn't not clean out the weekend. Jeremy Stevens, because that Ooh, elbow, oh wow. that elbow that Calvin Cater landed. Oh my goodness! Oh my goodness. That was standing just, elbow was on point. Oh, I literally. Almost split the man in two. Yeah, oh, man. Oh, gosh, that man, Calvin Cater, dark horse at one hundred forty-five pounds. Oh, one hundred percent. But yeah. going into that, that was always going to be a fire matchup. I mean, those two, they can bang. Mm, yeah, one hundred percent. But for me, for well, I, I see Cater more as a of a calm and methodical striker. But and Jeremy Stevens is like the complete opposite, who just goes hell for leather, mm. and the. The, the recent Jeremy Stevens fight that sticks out for me, which epitomizes that, is the destruction of uh, Josh Emmett. And I, I don't know if you recall, but Josh Emmett, I think he's lost some of the taste in his like well, some of his taste <laughs> senses from that knockout of Jeremy Stevens' wow. knockout. Yeah, talk about slapping the taste okay. out your mouth. <laughs> yeah, that man. <laughs> it's yes. Yeah, Jesus. Yeah. So. Oh, he was God, throwing but... knees though when he was down. I think. I think he kneed him in the head while he was on the ground. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he yeah. did that. <laughs> anyway, overall, guys, what would you, if you were to give last night or the early this morning for us in the UK, if you were to give it a grade, what would you grade UFC 249? I'd give it a ten, a straight ten out of ten, mm -hmm. from start to finish. Seriously, not only did I feel satiated, but you know the, the matchups. I mean, they were exquisite, man. They were just beautiful. And it was just great just to see, you know, just <laughs> great just to see MMA action full stop. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I, I, I agree. 10 out of 10, uh, A-plus card. Every fight for me delivered. There wasn't a snooze fest. And I quite, mm. I quite liked 
how everything was I, I think obviously because of the preventative COVID-19 measures everything was running very very quickly very very promptly so yeah, yeah for me like perfect fights perfect timing and yeah as you say I, I feel satiated and content yeah I'm a little bit sad that we didn't get to see uh, Rose versus the Andrade rematch but I know she had a lot of trouble with her family mm-hmm. and I hope I'm praying for the best for her and yeah. what she's going through but uh, outside of that yeah, yeah. I'm going to give it a 10 out of 10, probably because we haven't seen events for a minute, but I'm, I don't care. I'm going to say it. I'm going to say 10 out of 10. Well, it's only a few more days until we see more UFC action midweek on Wednesday and again on Saturday. Yeah, we're being spoiled. We're being spoiled. Fight Island, Fight Island. I was waiting for that. Man, that's the anthem, bro. I'm happy I made that. Y'all can hop on the remix. Y'all want a verse? Y'all want some ad libs? Uh, UK uh, needs to be represented. UK needs to be represented in hip hop, and this is the way to do it. This is the way. Uh, <laughs> right. Uh, well, on, on that note, <laughs> that about wraps up this episode of the Worldcast. As usual, you can join the debate, the discussion, any of the points that we covered today via Twitter. I'm at MikeWoTV. Fellas, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter and oh, Instagram at Chisango. No, oh yeah, at Chisango underscore Malaya. Almost messed up my handles there. Don't know what's wrong with me. And you can find me at Cairo Simame on Twitter. Do not touch yourself underneath the blanket. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> on that note, until next time, make some trouble. Yeah, let's watch this.